I would encourage them to uh, give them give themselves the gift of sitting with a moment of reflection of are you living your optimal life the life in motion podcast is brought to you by actual outdoors they help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation said simply they keep it real learn more at actualoutdoors.com this is a life in motion audio experience a podcast about travel action sports culture and more What's up and welcome to episode 111 of Life in Motion. I've got Mike Green with me who is an adventure coach and believes that great leaders are formed in the wild. He's also hitchhiked across America all the way up to Alaska. I'm excited to hear his story and how he's helping others experience the same thing. Mike, thanks for being on the show today. It's great to be here. Thank you, Jeremy, for having me. Yes, yes, I'm excited. You know, uh, you all you all reached out and, and it sounds like a really awesome uh, story to share and tell especially what you're doing now with the kind of the adventure coaching side of things. But before we get into that, uh, let's kind of start with your origin story. You know, where you're from, where you grew up, kind of hobbies, you know, what what led you down this this road in the first place? Thank you. Um, I grew up in a small town in western New York. That was a railroad town. Uh, my father was a fourth generation railroader. And uh, it was a small town. I grew up in, in the outdoors, hunting and fishing, of course. And also grew up uh, just always being that adventurer, right? My mom would drop me off at the south side of town at the park. And within a couple of hours, I'd pedal my bike all the way to the north end of town. <laughs> and I always got a uh, comment from the older people, quote unquote, older people. Does your mother know where you are? Right. Because I was so <laughs> far away and so young. So I've always been the adventurer, always been in the outdoors. Um, come from a small town. So I, I have that small time, small tone. Um, work ethic, and uh, where my my word is my iron, much like a railroad town person would say. Tracks run through the town, and so does our word. If you say I'm going to do something, I do it. So that's how I all started. Um, that's where I came from, and how did I start in this journey? Well, I did an outward bound course as a, uh, a student in high school. It was actually cross-country skiing and, and uh, dog sledding in the boundary waters of Minnesota. Interesting. And I was a high school wrestler. I was above average, but I decided I wasn't going to go wrestle wrestling tournaments, which I was slated to be a contender for the top spot. But instead, I went out to the Outward Bound School and did this course. And that taught me so much about self-reliance, service, and also taught me a different way of life. That there's actually a life called seasonal work out there. My father was a railroader, went to work at you know eight, came home at four. And that's all I knew. And I was like, what? There's a thing called seasonal work where I can work <laughs> a whole season and then take the other season off. So that's how that's the origins of the foundation. Of that's awesome. And I, and I love, you know, you being able to take advantage of the seasonal work as well. Um, you know, I've I've met a lot of people um, in, in Australia that that friends that I know through. That's a whole different story. But anyways, they they that's kind of what they did. They relied on the seasonal work. And then when they had their off season, they just went wherever they wanted to and just, you know, saved up during that time. And then when that trip was over, they'd come back and, you know, get another job or whatever. So that's a that's an awesome lifestyle. So so obviously. So what what was it? You know, you know, you mentioned kind of the wrestling background and, you know, you're pretty good at it. It sounds like was what was the ultimate draw that you decided to do the camp instead of, you know, kind of pursue the wrestling side of it a little bit more? Was it was it just the idea of just and you never know what you're going to find out there in the wild or, you know, taking away kind of the team aspect? 
you know, where you weren't necessarily reliant on a team and coach and everything like that? Or, or kind of what was that? Great question. Um, you hit it on the head. I, I was looking to get some adventure in the outdoors. Um, I've always wanted to do an hour bound course. I never thought I could afford it. My family, frankly, couldn't afford it. We got, um, we got financial aid. That's the only way I could have done this course. And, um, I've always wanted to do that course because it brochure back in the days when they had brochures, <laughs> <laughs> um, talked about finding your, your inner self and, uh, learning more about yourself. And at that age of 17 years of age, uh, that sounded like the right thing to do. So that's why I did it. And I was above average wrestler. I wasn't awesome, but I mean, I won a lot, but I, but I also won, lost a lot. So <laughs> I wanted to get outdoors and experience it. And it was, it was crazy. The backlash from everyone other than my family, my mom and dad, they're like, what? You're leaving during the winter wrestling tournaments? What, what are you crazy? You're gonna go do what? <laughs> you know, you're gonna live, you're gonna sleep outdoors. And at the time it was having record cold weather up in northern Minnesota. <laughs> like, have you seen the news? And I was like, Yeah, I'm going. They're like, you're out of your mind. And that was a that was an in, in a very important moment in my life. Um to start the callus, if you will, of not listening to all the naysayers, right? So yeah, that was the beginning. And then the, re then the rewards for not listening to the naysayers was, you know, tenfold. So that was the basic formation of my thought process that listen to the naysayers, but don't do what they say and you'll have a far better experience. That was, although I didn't know it at the time, that was the foundation of of um, the calluses, if you will, that I needed in order to do all the, the things I've done in my life is that not to listen to the naysayers, if you will. That's awesome. No, that totally makes sense. It's it's also cool because it sounds like even though, uh, you know, they, they might have been naysayers, they're also, a you know, supportive in your decision and to, you know, to an extent that way, too. So that's awesome. So so after the camp and getting that experience and everything, what, you know, you're still pretty young at that time. What what was kind of the next kind of uh, evolution of that? Um, I write about it in my book, Wander Must, uh, A Hero's Journey to Seven Truths. I was an orderly in a hospital. So basically I came home from that course, graduated from high school, went to college, got my two-year criminal justice degree because that's the thing I've been planning to do for so long because I wanted to be a police officer. But um during a experience down in the south of the United States, down in South Carolina, um, with my buddies at age 20, I met a girl at, a, at like a bar that didn't fit into anybody in this bar. And I was like, I'm going to go talk to her because she looks like she's an outdoorsy type girl. And she was, honestly. And back in those days, they used to have like a little, um, a little newsletter, if you will, that would go out with all these different jobs around the world, around the country for outdoors folk. I had this issue. I was like, really, I really want to do what I had a conversation with this girl. I was like, man, I want to do what you're doing. That seasonal work. And she said, well, just do it. Here's this, this um, flyer that has all these jobs, outdoor jobs around the country. And uh, went back to my hometown, all kinds of upset that I met this girl. And I was like, man, I met this girl who introduced me that the, that there is a place you can go to find this work. But I was going to go to um, the police academy. But as working as an orderly, I met a 92-year-old man, and I write about this in the book, who was in the hospital for a 
a, a basic surgery called, you know, he's got his prostate work on. He had prostate cancer. He had to get it taken out. And um, I use it as an orderly. I used to do Foley catheters. So I'm irrigating this man's Foley his, his catheter, 92 years old, highly intelligent, has three different um, patents in life. He's getting the surgery that he should have gotten when he was late 50s, early 60s. And I simply asked him, I said, um, look at you, you're 95 years old, you got three patents, you got a loving, loving family, you're in really good spirits and health. What's the secret to a life? He goes, live with no regrets. And it wasn't what he said, it's the way he said it. The timber in his voice resonated with me. And I knew right there that I needed to go off and experience this um, seasonal life, if you will, and not become, not go down the path of a police officer. That's, so that's, that's basically how I started. That's, that's cool. And it's cool to hear that story too, you know, having that experience of, you know, somebody of that age kind of sharing that, that wisdom with you. And then obviously you, you know, you taking it to heart, you know, being, you know, much, much uh, younger than him. Um, so, so that's awesome. So, so he sparked that interest in you. Uh, you took his, his advice to heart and you started doing the seasonal work. What, what was that like? Were you just kind of like, you know, looking for different places, you know, in different cities and, and states and that kind of stuff? Or was was there any kind of rhyme or reason to it? Or are you just taking whatever seemed right at the time? I'd, I'd go wherever where anybody would take me because I had no skills. I didn't have any. I, the only outdoor skills I had at the time were my outward bound experience in dog sledding, cross country skiing. And, and my other skills of working in a hospital and having, you know, your CPR and all the basic stuff. So I literally would go with anybody and I had to go as an intern. And long story short, I finally found a place out, in, out towards Leavenworth, Washington state. And I got a hundred dollars a month stipend. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's all I began. So I literally got a hundred dollars a month when I first started in the outdoor industry back in 92, 93 ish. I can't, I gotta really think that through. So that's how it all began. And then from there, I Washington State, then I went to see Valley Outdoor Learning Center in Parkton, Maryland, which is one of the largest ropes courses on the East Coast, where I learned the craft of briefing, uh, high ropes and low course, low ropes course experience. And then I went on to work for Outward Bound back and then ultimately the Russian government hired me to help with a uh, Russian adjudicated youth program, experiential education. Basically. So I literally started at the bottom and then I ultimately made my way up in very short order uh, where to the point where you know, Russians hired me. <laughs> you believe that? <laughs> that, was, that was honestly the last thing I thought uh, you were going to uh, say in this conversation. So that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that was in Russia, right? I, I would guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So how it all went down and I've, um, one of the co one of the instructors I worked with their family, their mother and father were big into the uh, Russian exchange students. Right. And, um, when I met them, they say, you know, we've always wanted to send a, someone over to Russia as opposed to, you know, placing Russian students in America. How about we send you over to, to Russia as a spoken American English teacher. Now that's very important. Spoken American English, not British English. There's a big difference. And then the Russians wanted the spoken American English. And this is just after prayer strike. So like, hell yeah, I'll do it. Right. And eventually they <laughs> shopped my resume around and all the things I could do. And then the oblast, which is a state, we would call it a state. They call it the oblast hired me to support not only spoken American English teacher, but also to support and start a 
adjudicated youth experiential education program because there's only really two types of crime at that time in Russia. There was either mafia crime or very small time crime. Because if your small time crime fled into the mafia crime, they'd either kill you or you become part of one of them. Or you just, you know, that's just stacked. So they were doing their best to, to stem the flow of young adults, Russian mafia crime. And at the time, <clears throat> experiential education, that buzzword was really, really big. It was like, it was a hot button item, you know. There was ropes courses being built all around America, all around the world to support development through high ropes courses, et cetera, or outdoor activities, not in the classroom. That's that's interesting. I bet that was, a, you know, especially kind of with, you know, what the whole pr program was trying to prevent. And as well, I'm sure you definitely saw some um, some interesting uh, things during that time um, <laughs> with that. Yeah, man, um, I tell you. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you had that experience yeah. kind of, you know, like you said, kind of worked your way up the ladder as far as, you know, your, 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 uh, work experience goes and, you know, obviously, you know, getting big opportunities like that. Um, so, so after that time, um, you know, I, I guess when, when you came back home or what was that like? And I also know there, there's a, a hitchhiking story in there as well. So, what, what was kind of that, that part mm -hmm. in that journey kind of after, uh, you know, po post-Russia? Well, what, when I came back from Russia, the main question people say is like, wow, what was it like that I tell them? And they say, where are you going to go next? And I'm like, oh, geez, where am I going to go next? Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll, I don't know yet. It'll just come to me. Well, I ended up going to Mexico, Central, and South America to learn how to roll cigars and then also to hunt monkeys with blowguns. That was honestly my goal <laughs> for my next big adventure. Well, fast forward through all of that, because I write, I write about some of this in my book, um, basically a leadership memoir. So we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but uh, during, during my time working in the outdoors for Outward Bound, I hurt my shoulder. And during that time of hurting my shoulder, um, a very important person in my life, uh, an older woman, kind of like a, a second mother, if you will, uh, said, you realize you're having major surgery and you're going to go crazy because you're not going to physically be able to do anything. Go to school, get a degree so you can fall, something to fall back on, quote unquote, right? We've all heard that. <laughs> you need something to fall back on. So I got my bachelor's in history, global history with a minor in Islamic studies and also a secondary ed teaching certificate. So it was during that time I was doing my uh, teaching that I had a conversation with my students. And this is a whole chapter in my book, but I'll give you a very, very high level. During that time where I was having what I call life lesson uh, Fridays, because I was getting real frustrated that I had to teach to the test. And back in those days, if there's any teachers listening, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It was during the Bush administration where there's no kid left behind and that we were all having to teach to the test. And I wasn't about that. I wanted to teach my students. Yeah, history is very, very important. And understanding how not to repeat that history, but also your personal history. And life lessons teach you about your history. So I started doing life lessons Fridays and my attendance was always 100% once it started. I would teach kids about how to go out to dinner and what forks do what, how to hold yourself in public, why is that important? How to do interviews? I mean, these are <clears throat> all things that I used to, long story, but the short period. But during that time of life lessons, we were talking about the media. Now, remember the media, 24-hour news stations was first one with CNN. And back in the time, 24-hour news just started back those days, where it just started. It was in its infancy. 
And my students were all worried about if something bad happened in Texas, they think it was going to happen on our doorstep in my hometown of Western New York. And I said, well, why is that? So my students realized that the media shapes their perceptions of humanity. I mean, this is back, and I'm not, this is a true story. I mean, it's in my book. You can talk to my students. And uh, we had a lesson on the Friday about this. And I said, well, to prove a point that you can believe in the kindness of others, and I just said this out of nowhere, out of the blue. I had no, it was an out-of-body experience. And I write about it pretty funny in my book. I said, well, I'm going to hitchhike to, from Hornell, New York, to Denali Park, Alaska, with no money or no food to prove that you can believe in the kindness <laughs> of others. And the students' mouths just dropped. <laughs> and uh, this God's honest truth. It dropped, and I started, my mouth dropped, thinking, and I'm literally having an out-of-body experience looking down at myself saying, what the hell did you just say? So, God's honest truth. And uh, so it's like, oh boy, I'm in big trouble now, because I'm just telling my kids it's okay to hitchhike. I'm going to hear from the principal, the parents. In fact, I did hear from the principal, but thankfully he was, he liked me for being out of the box. I got called into the police station, because one of my students was a father, uh, father was the chief of police. Uh, everywhere I told people I was going to do this, 85% of the people said, you're going to die. You're going to die in a ditch. You're going to die. You're going to get raped, die, and then be in a ditch. It all ended up always in a ditch. I swear to God. Dude. The, so it was interesting. About 85% of the people who told me don't do this, again, it's callous of saying no to what people think is best for you, right? Callous was really, from the way back in the day of my Outward Bound experience, was really helpful to do things that people think you can't do. Get out and experience life, right? Leave the safety of the, the community in that regard or community thought process. Oh, literally, as I told my mom, she cried the first two times and I ultimately hiked or hitchhiked with no money or no food, never touched money my whole way. And you're probably thinking, okay, so what did you do to get fed, Mike? Well, I would go to family-run restaurants. So I never went to a chain like you know McDonald's or Subway or IHOP or anything like that. In fact, I really never saw an IHOP um, my whole way across. But anyway, so I go to a hometown or family-run restaurant and I go in and ask to speak to the manager or the owner. And they look at me with, who are you? I was clean cut, don't get me wrong. I was very clean cut um, and clean, uh, articulate. I'd say, I noticed there's some cigarette butts and trash in your bushes out front in the parking lot. If you give me a bag, I'll clean up the, all that for the next 30 minutes. And all I ask in return is the sandwich. And they look at you like you're, <laughs> what? Right? I never told them I was hitchhiking. My name's Mike Green. I'm hitchhiking from New York to Alaska with no money or no food. I never, ever said that. And it was a really, really hard experience. And I write about it in the book saying it was really, really hard for me to, to do it the first time, ask for a basic human need and not accept a handout. I had to do something for it. Again, that goes back to my hometown uh, work ethic and how I was raised, fourth generation railroader. So they would get really uncomfortable, real quiet. And mostly if it was a small restaurant, everyone would stop doing what they're doing and listen to this conversation of this guy with a big backpack asked for food. <laughs> so they would get really weird and they say, no, no, we don't do that. We'll just give you a sandwich. I said, sorry, I can't accept that. Do you know a place that would? And then they get really uncomfortable again, say, no, here you go. Here you go. Here's, here's a bag. They go find a bag. And then the owner or male person would come out, look me over, you know, 
<laughs> and they look me over and then they give me a bag and I'd go out there and I'd clean up for 30 minutes. Everybody would be looking out the window at this, who the heck's this guy? And then they would, then I would come in. Usually they had to call me in, come on in, come on in. And there'd be a full course meal. And, and it happened almost every time a sandwich for the next day. True story. Wow. And I have all the addresses of those, those establishments that did that to me. Cause at the end of my trip, um, to remind them of their kind of their act of kindness to a stranger. I sent them a magnet from Alaska, a <laughs> kitchen magnet, so that they could see it every day in a place that they actually gave kindness. Now I didn't tell them, oh, my name's Mike Green. I'm telling them I never told them that. Only until after that, because I put a compilation of my newspaper articles and uh, sent it to them. Yeah. That that's am- that's amazing. I mean and you know especially you know having the determination okay i'm not gonna have any money and i could have any you know way to get there besides you know the kindness of others but at the same time it's not like you were um and i don't mean this in any way because i know there are people that are in rough situations not anyways but it's not like you were begging for the sandwich you're like hey i i can bring you value for your you know your restaurant you know whatever that is let me let me do this for you. And then in return, we get that not just, hey, I'm hungry, can I have a sandwich? Um, and I'm, I'm sure I, I would Im- imagine that, you know, obviously that Im- impacted you as a person. But I'm sure that left a really good imprint oh, on yeah. those individuals as well. You know, they're never going to forget that. So so yeah, so that's, yep, that's, that, that's, that that's pretty awesome. So so you make your, your, or your I guess, you, you know, you're yeah. making your way across the states. How long, how long was, was, and I'm, I apologize if you said this before, but how long did it take you? I didn't. It took me nine and a half days. Now, when I, when I first left, one of my students, and I still have that sign on one side, uh, and I had, and she made it the size of a Ziploc bag, a big, big Ziploc bag, so I could keep it from getting rained on. It said North, and on the other side, it said West. Now, before I hitchhiked across America or North America, I've been to Alaska before several times. One time I drove a motorcycle back from Alaska to New York. The other time I restored an 81 Scrambler Jeep and drove it across North America. And then I drove it back and then I did it again. And of course, this Jeep had no doors and no top. But that's another story <laughs> for another time. So I knew how long it was going to take me. But my but my friend at the time, of the second ride, she goes, you know, I said, we made it. Thank God we made it, you know, because it's an 81 scrambler, right? Because, well, it would have been funner if you weren't such an asshole. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was so driven, driven. I was like, okay, for the first day, we got to get past Chicago's traffic. And then the second day, we got to get across the Great Plains and hopefully make it close to, you know, Missoula. And then from Missoula, we're going to go up across the Whitefish. And then we're going to get across the Eureka border. And then we're going to get from there. We're going to go to Kamloops. Then we're going to head left. We're going to head west. That's how I was. You know, I was fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm a fun guy, but I was driven fun. So yeah. I learned at that time that I'm going to give up all troll. And that's what the sign did. I said, hey, if you pick me up, you're going west. I guess I'm supposed to be going with you. Right. Kind of thing. And I, of course, it was nine and a half days. Took me 37, no, 27 rides. Um, I have all the names of the people who gave me a ride. Uh, in fact, I recorded the conversations uh, of almost all of them, basically when they got good, uh, with a mini disc player. So in my okay. safe, there is a mini disc player, if you even know what that is. Um, and it says, Mike, it's like to Alaska, number one, two, three, and four. So you can actually hear me have these conversations. And some of these people I still stay in contact with, uh, you know, in fact. That, 
That's awesome. And I, and honestly, you know, that, that time frame uh, is a little bit quicker than I would expect, especially, you know, cause you know, you got to make sure they're heading in the right direction. And if they're not, well, then where do you get off at? And all these, you know, I'm sure different, different challenges as far as, you know, the whole uh, navigation aspect of it. So, you know, that's, that's a pretty impressive yeah. and I'm sure you're, your students uh, couldn't couldn't believe you when you came back and uh, you know told them what what actually happened and that you know everybody there was good in the world. Yes, that, absolutely. Well, what what helped me in my nine and a half days was uh, I got a ride almost through all of BC and Yukon with a very uh, basic minded electrician with a three speed uh, transmission on the tree from basically. Um, lower BC all the way through to white fish. So that was a three day ride, which was my um, crucible of giving up control. Cause this guy drove 55 miles an hour and he had a dog that was not trained, which drives me crazy, do- untrained dogs. And uh, the dog actually had him trained. Um, <laughs> and it, so that three day ride was a big deal. So uh, if I didn't get that three-day ride, it probably would have been two days longer, if you will. Yeah, well, relatively, it's so so pretty short. Um, uh, so that's awesome. And then you know that mm-hmm. that you know you you told yourself, hey, I'm going to let con- let go of control in this situation and just kind of see see what happens. Um, so so you get there. Mm-hmm. Did did you did you fly back? Did you did you hitchhike back or? Um, let's see. I I flew back because I had to see. What did I do? No, because I graduated from college in December. That no, that was nine eleven week. It was nine eleven happened. Um, I stayed in Alaska and I became. That's when I started my journey as a big game hunting guide. I had to do my two year apprentice, so I didn't have to come back to New York for college so i didn't come back until october and when i came back from october with a fistful of cash which just as you said earlier in the show i decided i was going to go to scotland and become a lumberjack (laughs) which in (laughs) scotland they don't call themselves lumberjacks which is a funny story in my book because in my book i I write about discovering leadership truths on every continent and um, i discovered a leadership truth as i hitchhiked across North America, the leadership truth being courage. You have to have the courage to stand up for you, what you believe in, and be and and believe in your your truth of yourself and be congruent with that truth. That being courage, that you're doing the best thing that you believe to be true. Then later on, I when I went to Scotland to be a lumberjack, um, I learned the leadership truth of integrity. That if we are congruent with our leadership truths. We make better decisions. That's where we have that angst. Inside that angst lies the non-congruency of the decision you're making based off of your truth, which you believe better for. <clears throat> and uh, being a lumberjack in Scotland, I also that's another chapter in my book, is just pretty intense because it was so unsafe and I could have easily left at any time, but I gave my word to that owner of that company that would be there through the season which I did end up surviving it. And uh, yeah, so that's how I learned it. So that's where it began. You know, that's where it began the whole experience. That's awesome. That's a, I mean, that's quite a story. And like you said, you know, you learned some, some things about others and yourself along the way, which I guess is probably a a good segue now um, 
you know, given all that experiences, you know, to what you're doing now as, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, kind of an adventure coach and kind of that. So where did the idea to, um, you know, try to help others with kind of the knowledge that you gained, you know, where did that come from? You know, when did it start kind of deal? And then, you know, what, what does that, that process look like for, you know, on average, I guess. Great question. Well, it started back when I was in high school or just before in the early stages of high school where, you know, when your parents take you to the grocery store and then one parent sees another parent and they start talking about their kids as if their kids are not right there. <laughs> you know, you ever have that experience? <laughs> yeah. And they say, you know, so-and-so is such a good, here's, you know, so-and-so I'm thinking like, I'm right here. Well, they, the, my friend's mother said, you know, Mike asks really good questions. And some of these questions I, I just think about for days and it really helps. <laughs> he helps me make decisions. And she said this right in front of my mother. I, my mom goes, oh, I know he's such a good kid or whatever she said. But I remember my friend's mother saying that. And then I thought, oh, wow, okay. Later on, that whole moment brought fruition when I started to thread all my experiences together to, for the common theme. And the common theme is being in service of others to help them be even better than they are or leave people better than you found them. For me, was was a good question. And I did that through my internship in Leavenworth, Washington, teaching wilderness survival skills in the winter, then also debriefing people in Genesee Valley Outdoor Learning Center, then going on to Outward Bound, et cetera, et cetera. And then that goes on and on and on where common themes of Mike Green's experiences were living, living can integrity to your truth, be in service of others, and ask good questions. Now, um, I didn't know all this at the time, because when I was literally hitchhiking through Great Britain, and it would be a Sunday, and it would be, as they say, pissing down rain, man. And I'm <laughs> looking at these sheep, and the sheep are going, bah, bah. like, you're, who's the idiot here? You're on the side of a road in, in the highlands of Scotland, and, and the pissed down rain, and who, and you think I'm an idiot for being a sheep, right? So <laughs> the, the it all didn't it all came together where I decided that when I was teaching leadership and communication courses, where one day a gentleman came to me, Mike, you know, teaching us leadership and communication hotel banquet area. You're really good at it, but if you really want to make a difference, you've got to go out to where these men and women work because they're not thinking about your concepts, you're probably going to reach maybe four out of the 40. You got to go out there. Long story short, I started my own company as a leadership coach at the time. That's how I said who I was and uh, started my company and started, I got a contract and I made some good money thinking I was in high cotton. <laughs> and then and it just started from there and, and I just blossomed. So now after over a 11,000 documented hours and wow. having become a ICF master certified coach, which is very rare in the coaching industry to have those are 1400 of us in, in the whole planet. All those experiences that I've just mentioned, several of them, given me the ability to sit in the rooms of the CEOs or hold the space for uh, an up and coming startup mother that is, you know, having great consternation between am I balancing my motherhood, my wife, my business, and I'm able to ask or hold that space to listen to them, to allow them to put it out there. And then just to make either A, make an observation or B, ask a question 
that changes that paradigm or allows them to say, you know, to find that congruence. So that's what I've been doing for years and years. I mean, you could literally say from the time I started my internship for $100 a month until <laughs> now, now living in, in Alaska, in the interior of Alaska, where my uh, coaching profession supports my ideal life. I have two beautiful children, ages six and nine, and a lovely wife of 11 years here in the near. And um, yeah, so this, as you call it, adventure coaching, and I'm grateful that you say it because it's two. So my coaching comes in two or basically three types of mediums. One, Zoom. Two, face-to-face or an a la carte, if you will. Clients come to Alaska or I, they want to go to Scotland and experience castles in the scotch or this, Nicaragua for the, the, the tobacco plantations. Or they want to go to Jordan. No, they want to go wherever, but most of my clients come to Alaska because it's easier during our times, right? They do what they call an adventure coaching experience where I'm already working with them. They come to Alaska to get away from the distractions, to strip away all the distractions and all the preconceived notions about their physical well-being or mental well-being or what they got to do, or am I keeping up with the Smiths, etc. And I take them out into the bush. Now we can see kayak, we do fly fishing trips, or we can go backcountry. We can do all kinds of things because I have... 25 years in the bush game hunting guide is a guide. So as I read, as I write about in my book, it starts off with a client named Ian and the helicopter as we're being helicoptered out to a drop off. I coached them through that experience. And I just had two back-to-back clients. I had a, a female doctor who was just out here, uh, a research scientist. And then I had a CEO of a cybersecurity company and um, they leave completely transformed towards their inner truth. And I say truth, some people might say values, but their inner truth. So that's how it works with me. I hope I didn't go too long. No, 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 that all makes sense. And I, I appreciate that detail and, and, you know, kind of the different, um, you know, tiers or, or whatever you want to call them in there. And I would imagine kind of to your point, you know, the, when they come to you or you go to them or, or, you know, go to a different location with them or whatnot, um, that, to, to your point, you know, they're able to disconnect and kind of really only focus on, you know, the moment. And then obviously what you all are discussing and the activities and, and all that kind of encompasses that, but it probably helps for them to shift their focus to kind of the whole reason they're, they're meeting with you in the first place, because they have their mind off of, uh, hopefully off of, you know, the regular day-to-day grind, whether it's work, you know, family, you know, a- anything else. Um, and I'm sure you've gotten lots of uh, great stories and kind of and, and feedbacks of kind of the success and value that you've that you brought everybody. Right. Yeah. So thank you for that. Well, what's most important is that my clients say, "Well, what about the bears? Um, <laughs> you know, well, don't worry about the bears. I, I got that covered for you." Well, what about the cold rain? If it rains, don't worry about the cold rain or the rain. Where are we going to sleep? I go, "Don't worry about that. You'll be taken care of." And they say, "Well, so what are we supposed to worry about? I go, worry about the silence." <laughs> and they stopped. So what do you mean? I go, well, the silence is so strong out there that you could almost lean against it. And guess what happens when you're in silence? No distractions. You get to know yourself again. That freaks a lot of people out because what happens usually is people land in the helicopter. Yay, we made it. I love the helicopter. It was so much fun. The helicopter goes off or the plane goes off in the distance and then it, you can't hear it anymore. <laughs> they grab their phone and they look for cell service. They don't get it. <laughs> In fact, some of them bring, like my last client, he did not bring his phone out on purpose because he didn't want that as an anchor. 
but he brought a he brought a really nice camera instead. And uh, yeah, they, they yeah, go without your phone for a day, turn it off, put it in your safe, give it to your friends. Say don't bring this back until five p.m. You know, don't don't interact with your email, don't listen to the news, go for a walk. That'll that'll give you a small snippet of what it is. But I mean, that's the adventure that's... coaching. But when I coach with people, I hold that space there in a Zoom call or face to face or my keynotes, where I help people just. Whatever's important to them, I'm in, ser- I'm in service to that. And then ultimately the conversations come down to um, how are they showing up, both as a man or a woman, at home or at work. Usually it comes down to both. Usually find that's where the, the angst is. The angst is causing the issue. How do we fix that angst? And how I'm not that great of a, I'm not a ninja uh, question asker. All I have to, it only takes one question. No, it's a process, you know. That's how I, yeah. that's what it looks like working for me. And if you go to my website, mikegreenleadership.com, and you check out my blogs, everything I just talked to you about, about the experience of the adventure coaching is on there. But also it just talks about, well, what's it like to work with you just Zoom or face-to-face? Because I do come, go to lower 48 once a quarter and do my round robin of clients. That's that's great. And and yeah, like you said, be able to disconnect and also trying to figure out how to do, you know, recreate that same thing over Zoom. So so with that, you know, something I always like to ask our guests is, um, you know, one one piece of advice for them. And, you know, I, I you, know, you mentioned some like, you know, you know, hiding your phone for a day or having somebody take it or that kind of stuff. But, you know, for someone that's trying to, uh, I guess, take that step in trying to figure out what what's causing that angst or what's call, causing that issue and kind of, you know, get in touch with themselves. What what would that kind of biggest piece of advice that you have, you know, for our listeners to kind of help them, I, I guess, uh, take that first step, if you will? Great question. Well, I would encourage them to uh, give them, give themselves the gift of sitting with a moment of reflection of, are you living your optimal life or what's working, what's not. Let's just keep it simple. Just take a moment, a moment, take a walk, uh, turn off your devices, lay on your floor, Grateful Dead or Moby or whatever you're into, and just think about what's working, what's not. And then just start to peruse what can you do in small incremental steps to improve your current situation in relationships, both work or what can you do with online spending, you know, those too much of it, not enough, whatever. The just small incremental steps and give yourself the patience and grace that there is no magic wand, magic question. There's only a process and that process takes patience, grace. Uh, and also understanding that it's a small incremental step. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, the small steps, obviously, but, you know, even more important, you know, taking that that time to reflect and really, really kind of think about that and, and, and open that initial door. So um, to that point, where where can people find you online? Uh, you know, I, you know, you mentioned your book a couple of times, your website, blog post, um, you know, if they're interested in coaching and anything like that, where, where can they find you online? Well, uh, because I hire good people, it's all in one spot. <laughs> it's uh, mikegreenleadership.com and you can find everything about me on there and then also my book wander must a hero's journey to seven truths is on amazon and it's doing really very well 35 five-star reviews um you'll laugh you'll cry and you'll self-reflect i guarantee it 
That's awesome. Well, everyone, definitely make sure uh, you check out the website, uh, socials, uh, the book as well. Sounds like it's super interesting. You got some good uh, teasers with our conversation today. Um, but Mike, I, I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and uh, your journey. It's definitely a, an interesting one and an inspiring one as well. So I'm excited um, for everyone that, that took the time to listen as well. But um, I'm just thanks again. And I'm wishing you the best uh, for you know whatever that next adventure brings you. I appreciate that. Jeremy, if there's anything I can do for you, please do not hesitate to reach out. I'm be happy to support you. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.